Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Android Central podcast. We are up to episode 312. We are marching right along to 400 and um, gladly going to introduce our esteemed panel that starts with Jerry Hildenbrand over in I'm West es- Virginia. I'm esteemed now. That's awesome. <laughs> esteemed First or esteemed, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, it's got to happen uh, once, right? And that is Daniel Bader chiming in from New York, actually, this time, not from Toronto. Yeah, hi. It feels like Toronto because it's cold and rainy, but I'm in Manhattan, right outside of Koreatown near Bryant Park, and I have had a ball, but I cannot tell you why I'm here for another little little while. For the food, right? Until a later edition of the Android Central podcast where he'll review devices (laughs) and food at the same time, actually. Oh, that would be the best. That would be my dream podcast role right there. Like if we could just start doing, just without telling anybody, don't pre-announce anything, just start putting up reviews of different food dishes. Oh, yeah. As you can (laughs) tell, I've been known to eat a little food now and then. So I would be all in for that. Yes, well, currently, I, before before I was on the pod, I haven't eaten all day, and I stopped by this Korean uh, fast food place, and I had the most amazing Korean crepe. So, if you've never had a Korean crepe, it is sort of, it's not like a French crepe, it's a little bit more spongy, and they put lots of spices in it, and different meats or vegetables or whatever. It is unbelievable. So, just putting it out there, Korean crepes. I'm I need to I I've never I didn't know that there was like a special you know Korean take on crepes. I'm registering no. koreancrepes.com right now for our future <laughs> menu. Done. Crepe Central. Oh, delicious. <laughs> well, while we try to get that off the ground, uh, we I we have to workshop this a little bit more off the podcast I think first. But while we try to get that off the ground, we've all been using the pixels for a little bit longer now and you know, we kind of had this hot take podcast uh, with Daniel and Alex and I uh, right when we first got the pixels. So that was kind of like our one day, two day take. But now Daniel and I have both used both the regular and the Pixel XL, and we've used them for like two weeks now. And Jerry has had his for almost a week as well. I think you got both the Pixel yeah. and the Pixel XL, right? Yep, I've got them both here. Right, so... I'm I'm super excited, first of all, to start with you, Jerry, because we didn't get anything, you know, we didn't get any of your thoughts on the on the first one. So which one are you using more? Like which one are you gravitating towards? And then, you know, what are you thinking? I wanna I want validation, please. Tell me that I was <laughs> I was right in my thinking of the pixels. Well, I like the small one. Uh the the the, the bigger one isn't that big. I mean, it feels very much like the six P. But I, I, I like smaller phones. They're easier for me to carry around. And surprisingly, the doing the same things on both phones, the smaller one gets a little bit better battery life. So I'm all in on the smaller one. And that's the things I do, guys. Yours may be different. This, we're all different and use things different ways. Yeah, uh, I'm... I'm definitely a fan of the smaller one as well. And I yeah. think I think Daniel is also, right, Daniel? You've still been using the small one. I am so enamored by this phone. <laughs> like, um, I think one of the third or fourth comments of my review was I could just picture Daniel purring to his pixel <laughs> in a corner somewhere. And that, I mean, that's not 
entirely true, but it's not far from the truth. And I've had nothing but good things to say. And I'm going to be writing a a piece uh, maybe tomorrow about um, the things that I think the Pixel could do better and where where I think Google really, um, you know, didn't fulfill its promise. But at the same time, this is as close to a perfect phone for me as I've ever used. And I, and I can say that having used hundreds of Android phones and every iPhone ever made. And I love this phone. So, yeah, I think that, you know, HTC hit the, nail, hit the ball out of the park with the manufacturing and Google with whatever they did elsewhere. <laughs> so They sprinkled so, magic on it. <laughs> exactly, Jerry. So... I mean, obviously, we hyped it up quite a bit before you got to use a final version of it, and you got yours on Saturday. I think you said we're recording yeah. this on Thursday. And uh, so did did we oversell it at all in our reviews, no. or, or do you feel like it, it lived up to it? No. I mean, if you are – man, I hate to use the word purist because it sounds like something that I don't mean – Sounds right, but it sounds kind of elitist to say that. Yeah, it, it, but if you like just Android, if you're, you know, you just like the the things you can do with an Android phone, there's nothing better than this. Uh, I came directly from the, I, I carry several different phones around, but I, I you know, use the 6P for a long time. I really liked that gold 6P. I liked the way it looked. This is... It's not faster than the 6P. Now the software doesn't look extremely different than the 6P, but it is so much better built. It feels so much better in, in your hands when you're holding it, and it fits in my shirt pocket better. And this is exactly what I've been wanting and, and crying for for three or four years, an iPhone that runs Android. And make fun of me if you want, but that that's what this is, and I love it. And I think the biggest takeaway from that, because I, I agree with you in terms of the iPhone comment, just from what it means, I, I think you mean like symbolically it's an iPhone running Android right. and that it, it's top to bottom uh, engineered by Google. And especially when you put the Project Fi sim in there and you're getting yep. the full on experience. And I, I'm going to talk about the V20 a bit uh, later after publishing my review, but I took um, the V20 out of the box from AT&T and it's, it's just calamitous. The the whole <laughs> buying a phone from a carrier that has all this stuff changed is, is crazy, especially after you just used uh, the pixel for a week or a week and a half. So I think that that's the important part to take away is you can tell that everything was meant to work together. The hardware, right. software, carrier you know whatever i know i mean i use mine on verizon for a while and t-mobile and i've switched it around but you just get a great feeling that everything was made to work together and i think that that's what's most impressive is there yes i i know i i think daniel mentioned this that it's not like it's the most I don't know, feature packed or, you know, there, there are missing parts of it, right? Sure. It doesn't have the waterproofing and it's missing some features and sure the battery doesn't come out and all this kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean that it's not a great holistic product. I think that this is one of those situations and it sounds like kind of this stupid trope, but it, it's like, it's greater than the sum of its parts. And that's tough to explain because normally you can say, Oh, look at all these features. 
But I, I think that you guys would agree that it, it is greater than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. Yeah. I, that's a really good way to put it. And, you know, somehow Google has figured out the combination of how its version of Android, and I say it's because even though it creates Android as a an open source project, it also creates Android as the version you see on the Pixel, and it's a right. separate project. It's a separate team of people working on it. It's a separate endeavor, and that specifically has been optimized for uh, the hardware, and they've done a great job doing that. There's no slowdowns. I have no, um, I have no app instability. The camera never, ch- you know, chugs like the six P's oh, did. Oh God, the camera! Um, you know, everything that <laughs> I've used the phone for has been the best experience I've had on an Android phone. So, so Jerry, I know you, you and I nerd out on cameras, you know, not just Android cameras, but cameras and photography right. in general. So how do you, how are you feeling? This, I, 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 it's better than I thought it could be. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I expected, you know, a, a camera better than we had before, but this is Google and every year they promise us the world's best camera. But uh, this is, you, you can pick it up pointed at something, tap the, the button on the screen, and 99 times out of 100, you get a great picture. The, there's just nothing more anybody can ask for. I, you know, there's no pro tools in it. You can't adjust anything in the stock app. And sometimes another brand might take a better picture under certain conditions. All that applies, yep. But if you just want to point the camera towards something and take a picture – this does it, and it does it really, really well and fast. And I think that that's super important that it, it has the high... I mean, I like to think about photo quality from these phones as, you know, what's the ceiling and what's the floor? So how good can the quality get and how good is your worst photo that you take with it? And I think that it's raised both the ceiling and the floor here where the 6P and the 5X had a high ceiling but also a pretty low floor. You could take some blurry shots. Mm-hmm. You could get some really nasty shots. And a lot of that was processing was bad. Capture times were bad and all of that kind of stuff. But the shot to shot consistency is so great on the pixels. And it's kind of that, you know, I do wish that it had a more full featured um, camera app. I, I've been comparing the pixel to the LG V20 and to the Galaxy S7 Edge with both have better camera apps, frankly, that have all kinds of, I mean, even in the main camera interface is nicer and you have all these tweaks, but you don't, you don't really, I mean, you don't need it. And most of the people don't need those tweaks anyway. And it's not necessary to like shoot in raw and then edit the photo later with the pixels. Like what you right. get right out of the camera is good. And I know that, especially because Daniel's been traveling, he's been taking a lot of beautiful photos too. And I mean, oh, a lot of the funny. people that have been, a lot of the people <laughs> that have been following, you know, follow us on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, every single photo, they're like, wow, that is an amazing photo. And I don't have a lot of camera phone, cameras from phones that have been able to do that. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Don't you think, Daniel? I, a hundred percent agree. And it's one of those situations. So I'll give you two examples. 
Um, I was in an elevator today and there was some, there was a cool light fixture. And with 80% of phones that I would have used, the photo would have been completely unusable. It was very low light. It, the sensors just weren't good enough. The rest, like the, the remaining 15% would have captured a decent photo, but I wouldn't have been able to just open the camera, take a photo and trust that it was good. The remaining 5% are, is where the pixel lives, where I double tap on the power button, I take a fo- photo without even framing it, and the photo turns out perfectly. It's perfectly exposed, the colors are ex- exactly what they are in real life, and the photo just looks beautiful, and it's instantly shareable. So that's one example yep. where you know you, you can just trust it. The other thing is in really low light, you know, when you're at a bar and you want to take a photo of your friends and they're moving and they're, you know, they're not posing. That is a situation where most camera phones fail and the pixel picks it up every single time. I could share almost every photo that I take inside a dimly lit bar in New York City and know that, you know, it's not going to be a a throwaway. And that's something that I really appreciate from this phone. And that's something that Google's, I mean, that's where Google's software and processing is doing the work because we're looking at, yes, it's it's a sensor that has very big pixels, lets in a lot of light, so uh, you don't have to crank up the ISO or do a particularly long shutter uh, speed, but this is with an F2 lens. It, Which it's is not like great. It's, a, it, it's not a particularly fast lens, obviously, compared to the F17 and 18 that we have in Samsung and LG's cameras. And right. so it's doing this in software. It's taking, you know, three, five, seven, nine photos all at once and stitching them together to get the right stuff. So it can identify what what's blurry and what's not and, you know, make that composite image. It's not basic hdr where it's just taking three photos and layering them on top of each other this is intelligently choosing what is and isn't going to be turned into the final you know quote-unquote final photo and that's the important part i mean i think a lot of people are still super down on the fact that it doesn't have ois but i look at it and i just ask if you've taken photos with the pixels for more than one or two days how are you asking for OIS? What is yeah. that? What do you think that's going to fix? It, it doesn't have a radar gun either, but I don't need it. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's what's so interesting about this is that because it doesn't have OIS, and we're guilty of being proponents of OIS. Of, OIS, of course. We, we should say that anybody uh, who doesn't know, OIS is optical image stabilization, which is a physical stabilizer inside the camera sensor or inside the phone that stabilizes the sensor as you move your hand. Uh, But what Google's done is it's basically recreated optical image stabilization through software. And they've done this by researching the crap out of what an optical image stabilizer does and figuring out how to use the algorithms from from the the, uh, image signal processor to recreate that effect. And they've done an amazing job. There's been... Very few times where I've used this phone where I thought, oh, I, th- I wish this had OAS. So I, you, that brings up a good point. Um, sorry, Jerry, you go ahead and finish yours I, really quick. I, I was just going to say you get, you get 90 plus percent of the benefits of OIS with none of the major drawbacks, which are size and a shadow. A, a moving lever arm creates soft corners in pictures in certain lights, under certain light. 
And that's always bugged me with OIS, but it was okay. It's fine. It's a fine trade-off because the pictures are so much better that I'll deal with it or I'll crop it out. Now you don't have those trade-offs and it's, it's to your eyes. It's every bit as good. So that, that's my biggest thing too, is that it, they, they've gotten so darn close to what OIS can do with, with software that you don't even it's like i don't even think about it and the biggest example for me is i is shooting video with the image stabilization oh, turned no on which i don't know how much video you guys have been shooting but i i haven't i don't even after i tested it obviously to see you know move the phone around and see how it does i was just last night i was walking home and it started pouring down rain and i was just so i pulled out the the camera as i was walking down the sidewalk to take a video of the rain I didn't even think about the fact until I watched it later that it was ridiculously stable, even though it was freezing and my hands shaking because it's so cold and I'm walking just handheld down the sidewalk. It looks like it's a, a, on some kind of a gimbal. And that's that's something that no matter how good your OIS is, if you're looking at a very small sensor and lens and in a, in a camera on a phone you're never going to get that amount of stabilization no and jerry and i talked about this before because we were again talking about the v20s image stabilization electronic image stabilization is a lot harder when you also have ois in the camera because not only are you compensating for the unintentional movement of your hand you already have the hardware trying to compensate for that itself so it's you you can't really blend them very well especially again in in a smartphone. So I mean have you guys been shooting much much video uh Jerry uh, have you? Uh, uh, you know th- playing around videos. I haven't done anything mm-hmm. that I want to keep but uh you know dumb things like hot wheel cars on the desk or things that just move around so I can play with it and see how it works. I I, I won't be afraid to take video that I need to keep with, with the smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something so interesting. And and so here's something to keep in mind. So, um, you know, we keep bringing up the iPhone, but I, I will, I will talk a little bit about Google. <laughs> um, they released an app on, on the iPhone called motion stills. And this was basically a way to, bring to make gifts out of the iPhone 6s's live photos feature. But it was also if you kind of read read between the lines, it was a showcase of Google Research's um, experimentation into electronic image stabilization. And what they did was they basically they crop out the edges of the frame and they stabilize it using a bunch of algorithms. But the, the takeaway there is that they have to crop out a section of the 4 by th- or 16 by 9 because you're, it's capturing video at 16 by 9 and it's a 4 by 3 sensor. So they basically crop it to where you don't see the edges. And as a result, they are able to stabilize the camera in a way that no OIS um, implementation ever could. And I believe that it's that same implementation that's brought over to the pixel, but even better because they're not doing any crazy cropping. This is the, uh, you know, there may be a tiny bit of cropping, but this is largely the picture that you're seeing from the viewfinder that you're capturing as video. 
And that's really impressive considering that video you took, Andrew, of walking through the rain. That was amazing. Yep. If you, I mean, yep. is that yeah. online? You, you posted that on Instagram, right? Yeah, I put it on Instagram, but if, if anybody's interested, I can actually upload it to Google Photos so you get a, you know, a full, uh, whatever, 4K or 1080p, you, yeah, you, whatever you I had it set to. Because, I mean, even with, you know, Instagram compresses down video, especially so you could upload it on mobile. But e- even with that, you just, it, it just looks so good uh, that you don't think about it, right? You think, oh, that's a smooth video. You know, you you notice more, of course, when you have, a super shaky, you know, shaky cam video, but that's, you know, that's not it. That's, that's not important. Um, the, the important part is all you do is just think about the, the video quality. And I think that the, you know, resolution and, um, uh, autofocus and all that seem fine, right? It's, it's nothing spectacular in in terms of that. That's just all works as intended. The big thing is, yes, you're not going to go shoot you know, some crazy long movie and cut it together with this. But well, somebody will. Well, I'm sure somebody will, just like somebody will with an iPad or an yeah. iPhone every single time that there's a new one of those that comes out. But the big thing is, if you're going to shoot 10 or 20 seconds of video and upload it to Instagram, you don't need any post-processing. It's always going to be smooth. I mean, I, I was taking some, Jerry gave me the idea to take some video out the window of the plane during takeoff and landing because everybody knows kind of how bumpy that is no matter how good the weather is and it gives you a perfectly smooth time-lapse like look with how smooth it is for a takeoff or landing but it's in real time uh it's just extremely impressive so and i i think that that's just a perfect example of what google's doing on the phone of just hyper optimizing the software to make the most out of what hardware is there subjective Aside, we can say we like one picture from one camera phone better than another, and that's perfectly valid. We all see things differently. There there are two things Google is doing better than everybody else, and that is noise. These low-light pictures that Dan was talking about, they, 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 they should, by all rights, they should be speckled and noisy and horrible, and they're not. And I don't know how they're doing it. It's software magic somehow. And the aperture, the the higher f-stop number means that the lens is slower, but it also means your focus is sharper. They don't have to take it down to, you know, f1.5 and make your edges blurry to get enough light to have a, a good picture. I really like the extra definition you get. I hope they continue, and next year we get a, a 26 F 2.6 lens that can take pictures this good. Yeah. No, you don't. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, what's, you know, I was talking about that photo from the bar and I was actually looking at it while you were talking. The photo was taken with a one over 15. So that's one, uh, one fifteenth of a second shutter speed. And the ISO is forty five nineteen. That's 4,500, wow. which hmm. by all accounts should be strewn with noise. This thing should be unusable. But somehow yeah. there's hardly any noise. You can't see it. And I'm not just talking about on my Pixel phone, like the screen. I'm talking about on my computer screen, which means that they're doing some noise reduction here that nobody else in the industry is doing because it's seamless. You cannot tell that this is you, a, you, a, a above, above 2,000, which is where you really start to see noise in a lot of sensors 
And, 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 you know, if you haven't tried it and you know a little bit what we're talking about, this is better noise filtering than Lightroom or Photoshop gives you. Seriously. Yeah, there, I've, there's I've only some magic. seen... I've only seen one photo that I've taken that actually had perceptible noise looking at um, neon lights really light, really late at night. So it's perfectly black sky and then neon lights. And you can see a little bit of the noise. And I, I used one of these photos in my comparison uh, between the Pixel XL and the Galaxy S7 Edge cameras. And the biggest thing that stands out to me is it's so good at processing that noise that it, it doesn't look unnatural at all i mean the galaxy s7 we know kind of doesn't handle dark areas as well as even the galaxy s6 did you know there's some trade-off there for brightness and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. but the 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 galaxy s7 edge kind of has this uh blotchy chroma noise look when it tries to smooth out all this uh iso grain and things like that and the Pixel XL can take the same photo with the same or higher ISO and manage that smoothing uh, of the grain so it looks natural. And that's extremely important because as soon as, like Daniel said, as soon as it knows that it can go to a high ISO without you know degrading the photo, then you don't have to play this weird game with having a super fast lens or anything like that. And that's, that's Im- impressive to me as well. So at the risk of um, of going on, you know, un, unfettered fawning of this camera without talking about something that a lot of people are talking about, that's this flare gate, I guess, if you will. Um, <laughs> oh, dang. And, I was afraid you were going to get there. Well, no, I mean, we, we have to acknowledge it, it right? Because yeah. somebody's going to bring it up. Somebody's going to say, well, you, you, you omitted to talk about this, this very important thing that's going on with the the camera here so just to give you some background any camera that you point at a light source be it the sun or a bright artificial bulb is going to generate some flare which means that the light hitting the sensor is going to refract off the glass and it's going to give you some uh like a lens flare the jj abrams effect right Mm -hmm. but people are saying that the pixel goes to the extreme when it hits a light source and that you actually have very distracting flare. It doesn't add anything. It, it's very, um, it, it's a problem. I have and, seen some examples and yes, there, there, I have seen some pictures that were absolutely ruined from this. Right. And you yeah, can so potentially get to that point. But what Google's saying is that it's identified a problem. And because this is not an, OIS-based phone, but it's an electronic stabilization-based phone, they can make software changes to improve this. The improvements will only happen when you're using HDR+, because Mm -hmm. uh, HDR+, is a feature that Andrew can explain in a second, is um, it combines a bunch of photos together to produce the end result, but that's how they'll fix the problem, or at least improve it. So... It is an issue, but it's not going to ruin your photos all the time. You have to be aware of what you're taking. You know, if you're shooting photos that are huge, that are really backlit or that you know are directly into light sources, no camera is going to deal with those properly. So, I think people are making more of this than it is. But well, Google is going to fix it nonetheless. Yeah, pe- people are making more of this than it is, but it 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 does if you are the light is smack in the center and you're facing it square, you know, at a, at a perfect intersection, 
it puts a complete full circle purple pink halo around the entire picture. It, it does do that. I can make it do that here. Uh, very few people are ever going to try to take a picture like that, but if you need a picture like that, it's not good to have that ring. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I understand they're going to, obviously, they're going to work on it in software, and that's awesome that they can fix that because, you know, obviously they're not going to run do some second run of hardware with the lens to try to figure it out, but just just know that it's not going to go away completely, and this is just something that you're going to have to deal with no matter what phone you have. It's just all about how pronounced it is and just in general how it, um, I don't know, how it shows up. Some have a very strong like purple streak on them. Some turn it into more of a haze across you know, the corner that the light is most intense. Um, I haven't had any that have any shots with the pixel that have like extreme haze on them. Just a couple and... I didn't even think of it until a lot of people started bringing it up that this was, you know, a thing, so to speak. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I I was just like, well, I've gotten a lot of lens flare on a lot of shots from a lot of phones. I I I hope they don't get rid of it completely because I've taken a couple pictures where the flare is just right and it makes the picture better. And you know. The idea is to get rid of as much of that as you can, and if you get rid of all of it, then you won't be able to have that. A filter, you know, for Instagram or whatever doesn't look the same. Real lens flare can look beautiful if they leave just a little bit of it. So yeah, I hope you they can, can't fix it all. We can, uh, yeah, we can unfortunately get into a very bad situation where they try to overcorrect it, yep. and all of a sudden they're over softening portions of photos just to try to get rid of the lens flare, and now you're losing definition in those corners. I mean, I understand they're doing a pretty darn good job with <laughs> HDR Plus, but I, I don't want them to start getting in there and, and messing with things. Though, I mean, the the engineers that worked on the camera processing software obviously know what they're doing from the outset here. They <laughs> they have some very smart people working on this. Yeah, I, I, when I asked, why why would you build a phone, uh, you know, this expensive and this nice without opti- optical stabilization in it? The final answer to that conversation is, shut up, you haven't used it. Come back to me when you've used it. Well, I shut up. That's kind of my response to everybody that talks uh, <laughs> talks about the Pixel camera. So I think we'll we'll stick a fork in the Pixel camera there. We we could have two or three or seventeen episodes on this yeah. on just the camera. <laughs> but I I do want to bring up one more thing while we're still talking about the Pixels uh, that Jerry brought up is uh, I want to talk about Google Assistant uh, and see you know Jerry how have you have you actually been using it much is it something that's baked into your daily life all of a sudden or or you know do you understand like we do that you know there's it's going to be a long road ahead i i i use it to play with it uh i have it send me strange facts every day or i mean you know if i need to do a google search i'll, I'll use assistant i i see a lot of potential there but honestly, up until like two o'clock this afternoon, there was nothing there that tickled me. But now I've hooked up IFTTT. And, <laughs> oh, my God. I control all my lights, my television, my radio. I have been doing that all day long. Hey, I've been messaging. I went and voted and messaged you guys from the voting booth with Google Assistant. Is that legal? I don't care. 
Good for a lot you, of Jerry. Stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff that happens in West was, Virginia I mean, that I is just, or isn't legal. It was, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. It didn't affect anything. But it was just, it's, that's really cool. And when we get Google Home, you know, here in a week or so, they should talk about when we're going to actually get it in our hands. For me, that's going to be great because I bought into a bunch of that junk. Hue lights and Wemo switches and I have everything but automatic blinds. And I'm thinking about getting those now because there's a channel in IFT for it. And I can tell Google Assistant to raise and lower my blinds. So I, I think for me, uh, I've I've tried to use Google Assistant as much as possible, but it just hasn't it hasn't worked its way in. Simply, I think part of it is kind of the tech reviewer problem. You know, I'm sitting at a desk with at, at least one computer in front of me for most of the day, mm-hmm. and you know, so so asking assistant to do something for me is in no way the most efficient way to get information or find out something versus, you know, opening up Spotlight on my Mac or, you know, opening a new Google search on whatever computer and just typing it in and getting it quickly. And I think that the biggest thing that I I expressed in my review and has still been true is that you're only dealing with voice. And that's what is a huge barrier to me because it not only is it voice input, it's voice output as well. And so even when you ask it something in voice, you have to sit there and listen to it say what's on the screen. And it's kind of like, well, I can read. So, it, and of course it doesn't, it, it can't tell whether or not you're looking at the phone. So you could have finished reading whatever it gave you uh, as a response and you still have this stream of audio coming out. So, I mean, I know, so Daniel's had a perfect opportunity when he's traveling and a lot of things going on. Have, have you used assistant, you know, have you worked it into your, your travel day? Well, I mean, you, you have to, I think we have to talk about assistant in its two forms. And that is as the Siri competitor, that's voice only. And as the evolution of now on tap, which will, when you Mm -hmm. hold down the home button, give you information about the context on your screen. And I've used assistant for as now on tap far more often in the last two weeks than I have as a voice assistant. Yeah. And I really find that interesting because I never used now on tap because I forgot it was there, but now I've been using, you know, and I, I wonder if this is again, a reviewer problem, but I've been trying to work it into my, my day, you know, trying to make it uh, a, a part of how I use my phone. And I, I think it's a very powerful tool. As you mentioned though, the fact that the assistant part relies only on voice is a big limitation, especially since they removed the, the, the written search bar from now on tap. So I can no longer hold down the home button and then type a Google search like I could with now on tap. I actually have to go to the home screen and then swipe to the left pane to get to a search bar, which adds an extra step. But overall, no, I really haven't been using Assistant. It's been quite disappointing, to say the least. I think that's the biggest thing for me that if it was it if it was all in one place it, it would be a little easier to use in terms of you know if I want to make a text search like it's not always possible to 
do a voice search or listen back in voice, you know, I have to, like you said, go to the home home screen and tap on the the Google bar to do that. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be separate. And your your history is separate and your interactions with Assistant and Google Search are separate. That's the big missing piece for me right now that we really we really need that, I think, if we're going to go further with Assistant. Don't you think, Jerry? Okay, Google, turn off my office lights. Okay, turning off the office lights. I don't care about <laughs> anything else, man. That's, uh, that's cool. I, I love that you could actually hear her respond. Okay, and, Google, turn the office lights back on. You oh, see, no. have to say it exactly. Okay, Google, turn the office lights on. Here's what I found. Oh no! I'm gonna well, have to so, get up and turn them on. I forget what I'm supposed to say now. That's a um, that's uh, that's just a shortcoming because this is a third party integration with IFTTT, well, that, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You have to program an exact phrase. Right. A, as I soon as you I don't have remember the phrase to turn them right, back as on. As soon as you have a full, um, you know, a full integration with Hue or with Nest or whatever, right. it's going to be able to do this more natural language processing to have a wider variety to be able to pick out, you know, what's the noun and the verb in this sentence, no matter how you say it, and you know, put those yep. two two together and, and make it happen. Now. Assistant is really good about some of that stuff. The voice recognition is excellent. Amazing. It knows, it knows exactly what you say, and it does a pretty good job about knowing what you meant to say. But when it fails, it fails pretty spectacularly. Right. You get, it, you know, you can ask it a million different ways. What's my flight like tomorrow? But if you say, you know, you know, what time does my plane leave? It, it might not know that because it's looking for the word flight. And so I think that's a, that's a smaller issue. I think the bigger issue of not having it be integrated with the other parts of Google now and search is a bigger deal. Okay. Google turn on the office lights. Okay. Turning on the office. I lights. had to look up what I told it. I was going to say you just had to do it in the right. opposite direction. It, it, it's not because there's no integration. It's not smart enough to differentiate between turn on something or turn something on. So uh, I, I'm going to start with you here, Jerry. What's your what's your thought uh, on the pixel overall before we before we move along to other things? I it's it's not for everybody. I will say that right up front. If you think that you know you you want a water resistant phone or a, has a removable storage card or a removable battery or yep that that's the pixel is not for you thankfully there are phones that are out there for you but there were also people and I'm one of them who didn't care about that and wanted something simple and seamless and integrated that does what it's supposed to do without a bunch of extra cruft and now we have that too. So this is the phone for me. This is this is almost perfect. And that's the the smaller pixel right. to be clear. Right, the smaller pixel. I you know nothing against the bigger one. It's it's just as nice. It's just a little big in my shirt pocket. I in a wheelchair you don't keep a phone in your back pocket. You keep it in your shirt pocket. So Daniel, are are you going to have very similar amounts of praise to heap on it? Yeah, I mean 
you know what Jerry said is is pretty much it jives with what I say what I think. Um, you know, I was thinking about what he what he said, and I was trying to put it into a summary. And I would say that you know, by and large, this is a phone for people who want to relent as much of their lives to Google's automation as possible. And I don't just mean assistant. I mean, Google has a an aesthetic that it believes Android should should have. And it gives you that in the launcher and all of the first party apps like the dialer and docs and Play Store and, and, and everything that's preloaded on here. And Google now being accessible from the home screen and Assistant and the camera app. And all of that together, as you said earlier, is more than the sum of its parts. I really believe that. Because if you look at it as a phone, you may think that it has some serious drawbacks. It doesn't have waterproofing. It doesn't have expandable storage. It is a little bit chunky. It does look a little bit generic. You know, Mr. Mobile in his day one video review said that it it looks unremarkable. It looks too much like an iPhone, but it has all of the the character removed. So it looks just like a blander iPhone, which some people already think is pretty bland. But for me, it's not about how the phone looks. It's about how I use it. You know, I don't stare at the phone's design when I use it. I, I stare at the screen. And that's really what I'm finding with this, is that it's just the, a better blank slate than other phone blank slates. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you there in that, yes, I, I know that it's not the most spectacular of you know hardware designs in terms of standing out, but it, it is executed extremely well, and it does feel good. It's not like we like the phone despite its hardware as if it's like, Oh, we're putting up with, you know, Nexus five level gross plastic hardware. Um, but there is something to be said for the, the combination of how it all works together. And I, I just don't see, I mean, I don't get all of the negativity against that, Jerry. I, this is the culmination of the Nexus project. Yes, absolutely. You're right. You take the Nexus and think of those, the past Nexus phones, which were each great in their own right. I, you know, and I'm not blowing smoke. I've got every one of them here. I, I used all those phones and they were all great. They were almost what I wanted. But this is, they were the beta and this is the end result. Uh, yeah, it's bland. I, I wish it was, I wish it was the HTC 10 body. Dan, come on. You you know I'm true. That, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it interesting <laughs> that, you know, earlier you had said, you know, just a week ago before you had your Pixels that you thought the HTC 10 was the best phone of I, 2016. And, and and that was before the Pixel, and, and I still think that that's the truth. Sure, and, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, absolutely, I think the Pixel is a better phone, largely for its software and its camera, but... It's also got a lot of HTC DNA in there, and I don't think Google could have picked a better manufacturing partner here. No. Well, I mean, HTC built the first Google phone. They built the first Nexus phone. I'm kind of glad, you know, from a nostalgic point of view, that they built the first Pixel. Well, and and yes, I think that the hardware 
it, it gets out of the way, but it's still really good. And that so that's it's I just don't think it's a talking point one way or the other, really. I mean, the the big thing is, just like I talked about before, is that how how well it works with the software and how how well it does feel like a complete project in the way that the Nexus is maybe like Jerry was saying, felt like there were still a couple screws loose here, here and there. Like it still felt a little tacked on or a little forced in some ways. And I mean, I don't care that it's a little bit on the bland side or it's missing a couple of features. I mean, I think I'm trying to find a different way that to say it, that isn't just recapping exactly (laughs) what you and Daniel said. But I think that the important thing is I, we've used so many phones, you hundreds of phones, some longer than others, but at some point, I want to be able to take the phone out of the box and have it work exactly how I want it to, you know, with minimal effort and setup and tweaking and messing with things. And I think that that falls in that iPhone running Android type thing that Jerry was talking about back at the beginning of the podcast. I, I just had an epiphany that you all have probably already had, so you can laugh at me. Do it. Remember those billboards and signage in New York for the Pixel that was just a a, a blank frame? Mm-hmm. That's what the Pixel is. This is just a window to the content it holds and the things, the software it runs. I, I think that the the bland, and we use the word bland, I think the design was not an accident. It just gets out of the way and you don't care about it. Right. And, you know, to further that, if you want to take the logical step of thinking that made by Google as a slogan is more than just marketing speak, you know, this is less about the hardware than it is about experiencing Google's best software and services because Google may have made its first phone, but as we'll talk about in a bit, the company makes a lot of money, most of its money from services and this is just Google's way of showing you ads on a prettier canvas than on any other phone, essentially. Yeah, and you know, and getting you to use Project Fi and getting you to sign up for additional drive storage and become a you know Google G Suite customer and all kinds of other stuff. It's mostly ads. Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that this perfectly dovetails into talking about the LG V20, which I reviewed after an extensive period of using a pre-production model and then a week using the AT&T uh, production model. And I my Wait, initial let attack... Let me interrupt you. Do you mean the brought to you by DirecTV... A- with AT&T as the parent company <laughs> production model? Yes, uh, I was greeted <laughs> by a persistent notification in the notification bar when I started the phone up that uh, urged me to sign up for DirecTV, which was excellent. Oh, God. Uh, and I, I couldn't swipe it away, and I didn't quite understand. You have to actually tap on it, and then it launches the DirecTV remote app, and then you have to decline everything to get the notification to go away. Um which is just just exquisite user experience. But I think that the... So my original attack uh, for the review, like how I took it after using this pre-production model, which I didn't want to write about the pre-production model much because that's, you know, it turns out that a lot of things that I had problems with were were just problems with pre-production software and hardware. But um, my initial take on it was the, the V20 is kind of like a... 
2014 or even an early 2015 version of of a high-end Android phone. Uh, it's massive. It's a huge phone. It's almost as big as a Nexus 6, which is, you know, was routinely panned for being massive. Um, it, it's a, it's notably, it's a few millimeters in every direction bigger than uh, the Pixel XL. And it's just kind of big and blocky. And so it, it kind of went with this strategy of let's put lots of specs inside. Let's give it an SD card and a removable battery. And the back comes off with all these latches and it's kind of big and flat. And then in the software, we're just going to put a ton of stuff in there where it does all this crazy stuff. And yeah, it has a, an IR blaster and the, you know, whatever. It's got all kinds of um, little things, you know, the high quality DAC. And then on the camera, the cameras are really good, but it has all the crazy manual video modes. And it's supposed to have really good video stabilization. And it's got hi-fi audio recording and all this stuff. But there's no central feeling when you when you hold the V20 or you use it on a daily basis. It doesn't feel like it was made together. It feels like somebody designed the outside and then somebody figured out how to make it with a removable back so the battery and the SD card come out. And then somebody else designed the cameras. Somebody else designed the... 80% of the software experience and then somebody put another 20% of LG stuff on top and I mean uh, a lot of people did not like my review of the V20 because I re- I referred to the Pixel a lot uh, obviously well, just use the Pixel for a week go ahead Jerry you, you can't ignore the Pixel I mean you just no, you it, can't of course not especially because they're almost the same size in terms of screen and they're almost the same price and you know they're going you know, after the same market, but so uh, people did not like the V20 review because I referred the pixel so much, but it, I think it was an important contrasting point to say, look at the V20. It has more than the pixel. It starts with 64 gigs of storage. It has an SD card slot. You can remove the battery. It has two cameras. It has a front wide angle camera that you can do cool things with. Uh, yes, it has Android 7.0 on it. It does all these things that the Pixel doesn't, yet I don't like using the V20 nearly as much as the Pixel because the software does not do, uh, the and the hardware design don't do justice to the specs that are inside. And the features are there, but they're not well integrated. And it's all under this layer of LG doing weird things with the software and then handing it to AT&T to completely destroy like <laughs> AT&T destroys every other phone. And it's, I just don't feel like I'm that, f- I, I don't feel like I'm far off by saying that it's not worth the same amount of money as, as the Pixel XL. Don't you agree, Jerry? For, for you, and, and I would agree with you, no, it, it's not. It is everything the Pixel isn't. But we, we, we yeah. have to remember that there are a lot of people out there that that's what they're looking for. There is market for this. Uh, I don't think the market for the V20 is is that huge. But we have to remember it, it, that phone probably wasn't designed to be LG's market leader. It just so happened that the phone that they thought would be the market leader turned out to be a pretty much a flop. 
So the V20 is going to get a lot more attention. Right. And, and it's, I think, I think that you have the right point there. So, I I mean, so the title of my review was that it's a, a, an excellent phone for power users or the phone for power users or something like that. And so the, the funny thing was that my review of it was actually positive. I actually think that it is a good phone itself. It has features that people want aside from waterproofing it has every feature that people are looking for in terms of having raw number of features and number of specs. And that means that somebody that reads our site every day and wants to tweak their phone and loves the Note 4 or loves, you know, the uh, I don't know, OnePlus 3 or whatever crazy Xiaomi six and a half inch phone is out there, uh, those people will really like the V20. But that doesn't mean that I would ever recommend that my mom or my friend who has an iPhone 6 or whatever should buy the Pixel XL. And I think that those two things can be, uh, do not have to be mutually exclusive. You can have a good power user type phone with all these features and it doesn't have to be, you know, this well-rounded thought after you know, cohesive experience like the Pixel XL is. But you have to understand that just having the number of features and specs does not make it a cohesive, great phone. When I was younger, I used to carry a Leatherman in my pocket, one of the smaller ones. It had screwdrivers and scissors and pliers and wire cutters and everything else. Uh, I'm a little bit older now. I carry an old beat-up single-blade pocket knife because I, I, I... if I need it, it's only to do one thing, and I don't don't need all the extras anymore. And and that's the way I like to think of phones. There are, you know, if you have the need for all that stuff in the V20, it's a damn good phone for you. It's, you know, you may or may not like the software. I, I don't. You may love it. That doesn't mean it's bad because I don't like it. It's... It's made for people who want one thing that can do it all. Yeah, I mean, I want to hear your take on this, Daniel, because you've used a V20 a little bit, too. Uh, And, of course, we just got done talking about the pixels. Yeah, you know, I I find it interesting because your perspective is clouded somewhat by the fact that AT&T has all but ruined your retail unit. And oh yeah, AT and T ruins every phone. So sure, but yeah. I mean, so I mean, we're approaching um, this from two different points. We're doing a pre-production unit that had software bugs, but no carrier bloat, and then we have a final version that had a lot of carrier bloat. And yet, if we talk about the Pixel, even if we were to talk about the Verizon version, um, and you know, we we have to eat our our shorts for a second here and admit that Verizon didn't or hasn't screwed up the pixel as much as we thought it would, even though they, the there's still young. plenty of time. Yeah. So yes, I would say hasn't yet, but well, exactly. I, I agree That's as far as bloat and changes em- go emphasizing hasn't yet. But what I'm saying is that the, even the carrier experience of a pixel is dramatically different. And if you were to buy the $800, you know, unreleased $800 version of the V20 from B and H photo, that is not going to have any of those encumbrances you may have a very different experience and it's just about paying for lack of excess. I guess the excess 
is part of the deal when you buy a carrier phone. And I wonder, you know, I thought the V20 had decent an, a decent interpretation of nougat. It's not, it's not as, um, I guess, heavy as the G5s was on Marshmallow and the G4 on Lollipop and all that good stuff. And I just wonder, you know, LG's going in the in the right direction here, but are they just are they just being held back by their acquiescence to their carrier partners? I mean, the answer I mean, to that I, is, is yes, obviously. Yeah, but, of course. But I think that the carrier situation is just a, it's just an example. It's one of many examples on the V20 that LG, I mean, I can't say that they don't care, but they basically don't care enough about the overall user experience to make sure that the phones do not ship with what AT&T has done to this phone. And the Galaxy S7 from AT&T has a little bit of this, but it doesn't it doesn't destroy the phone or change features. And I and I and I know that Jerry's been tracking this a little bit that the Verizon V20 is like straight up missing features. Like it doesn't have an FM radio no theme and it store. changes the settings, it changes Yo. the themes, it yeah. removes LG's apps. It directly breaks things and i think that that's a perfect example it sure that is one thing that you bypass entirely by going to bnh and buying an unlocked one which i recommend anybody that wants to buy a v20 do uh it'll you'll you'll pay 800 for it but that's just how it's going to be you'll pay 800 for a pixel xl as well but i think it's just the example of the fact that they're going to let that happen to the v20 shows that there are other things that are more important to them at LG than having the cohesive full product experience. And then also let's be clear here for a second. You're going to be paying $800 for an AT&T V20. You're just doing it over 24 months. You're not getting it subsidized like you used to. You know, this is a very right. big distinction. You're either paying for the entire thing up front or you're paying for it amortized over two years or 18 months or 30 months or whatever you decide to do with AT&T. But ultimately, you're still paying for the phone. So if you look at it that way, if you can eat the upfront cost of getting a phone unlocked from a retailer or directly from the manufacturer, you should always do that. Really. I mean, this just it's just mm-hmm. best practices. Yeah. So I, yes, I agree. And I don't want I don't want the carrier discussion to get too like that. That's like I said, it's just an example of what's going on with the V20 and the fact that you can get it without a carrier in the U S and it's not screwed up is good. I gave AT&T crap for like two sentences in a review that was 4,800 words. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that uh, Daniel, you mentioned that it's LG's take on nougat. It's not, nougat as we see even on a nexus 6p today uh let alone a pixel obviously those are some google specific features lg has still changed things lg is still not good at software in the way that samsung is even which is you know yes lg is not as good at software as samsung and it's it's just wears on you a little bit yes i put the v20 next to the v10 and oh my god lg has it's like they fired the entire software team and started over, but there's still that lingering 
20% or 15% of the poor experience that's just tacked on top of nougat. And they, they made a lot of good improvements, but it's like, why, you know, for some or most people, it is not worth having to put up with all these little idiosyncrasies in the software or the bloatware or how things work or some of the jitters and performance or anything else just to get an SD card and a removable battery in a phone that's bigger and harder to use than the pixel. That's, that's where I'm looking at it from. And yes, I may have been a little more critical on the V20 having just used the pixel XL, but that's kind of how the world goes. If you release your phone after I've already used another phone that I think is better, that's just what's going to happen. I I just want to say two things. Yes. First off, it's, we can give LG a bunch of guff and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it's hard. It's hard to make, Mm -hmm. they put everything in that phone. They have to try to make a, a way for you to do all of those things that, that makes sense. That's by nature going to be a jumbled mess. If they don't change anything and keep writing the same software 10 years from now, it'll probably be perfect. Uh, and that's just that's the way it is. Anything you buy, the, the more features you add to the mix, the more complicated and incohesive it becomes. And secondly, Andrew, you you dug one hell of a hole without a shovel. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's I don't know. I, I I think that the funniest part about it is, in the end, I thought that it was a really good phone. That doesn't mean that I think that it's the best phone available or that it's as good as the Pixel XL or even the Galaxy S7 Edge in some ways. So. The interesting thing that I think is that LG should be happy about the fact that this is a way better phone than the G5 ever was. And it's going to be actually a worthwhile phone that some people are going to consider buying, especially if they're super tied to having a huge phone and the Note 7 is no longer available. And I think that that's a big deal for LG uh, because LG has not had a lot of hits lately uh, or you know sold anything that was by any measurement a hit. So... The V20 is a good phone. They did a good job with a lot of things, but it really, I I kept coming back to the fact that it's just not a cohesive phone. And in 2016, you got, you got to do that or you're not going to, you know, or you're going to keep selling the number of phones that LG sells, which is not a lot. And that's laid out in its latest quarterly earnings as well. You know, LG did not sell enough G5s. And they lost a crap load of money in its mobile division this quarter. This week's episode of the Android Central podcast is brought to you by Harry's. We've mentioned Harry's before, and we're super thankful that they keep coming back week after week. Harry's makes great razors for less. Specifically, they charge $2 per blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay for those other brands at the drugstore. Harry's five-blade razors are awesome, and they include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for those hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for when it gets wet. I've been using Harry's, and I love it. It's really nice to finally have soft skin after a shave. And there's no irritation. Five blades, yeah, they actually work. Harry's was founded by two friends 
who wanted to offer a great shave at a fair price. They even went to Germany and bought the factory that they had hired to make the blades because they liked them so much. That's why Harry's can produce high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price of the drugstore brands. Quality is always 100% guaranteed, and if you don't love your shave, Harry's will refund you. So how do you get started? How do you try Harry's? Well, if you want to and you are listening to this podcast, you can get a great deal. All you have to do is go to harrys.com and you can get a starter set for just $15. That includes three precision engineered five blade cartridges, moisturizing shave cream, a weighted razor handle of your choice, and a travel cover, all for $15. And for a limited time only, there's another special offer for fans of the show. But what do you do to get that? Well, all you go do is you go to harrys.com and at checkout, you enter the code AC. That's harrys.com and enter the code AC at checkout to redeem your deal. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, I I mean, I yeah, thank you for the segue to earnings because I think <laughs> we should talk about that and I should stop trying to dig myself out of a hole with the V20, as Jerry said. Uh, LG consistently, the last five or six quarters has not been able to turn a profit in its mobile division. And of course, LG is a huge company that makes not quite as much stuff as Samsung, but <laughs> they, you know, they make all these home appliances and components for other phones and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, as we saw, they partnered to make a beautiful monitor for, uh, Apple's new laptops, all kinds of good stuff. But so LG as a whole turned over a profit, of course, uh, because they have these huge businesses that are doing so well, but their mobile division lost $400 million. And they lost $400 million selling only 13 million phones in the quarter. Um, that's not, I mean, that's four and a half million. Uh, it was a little more than 13 million. So four and a half million phones a month. Uh, you know, I think that we think of LG as being a lot bigger than that because four and a half million phones guys is, is not a lot of right. phones and, for, to sell in a month for a company as big as LG. And we also have to remember that a large portion of those phones are going to be the, the stylo you can get at T-Mobile for 19 bucks. And yeah, I think they, I think they specifically mentioned the K series, which is their kind of mid yeah, to low range. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's difficult when you can't move your product. And, and, and the biggest thing is the G five just completely fell flat. I don't think anybody's thinking about the G five right now. And it, so it's just like you, you wonder, I mean, we, we kind of forget about the financial part of things, but you know, LG's mobile division lost twice as much money as they ended up turning as a net profit for the, you know, for the quarter. So they lost $400 million just in the mobile division. So their profits would have been 600 million plus dollars for the quarter had they not had the mobile division at all. And, you know, we're not at the point where they're going to start spinning things off like Sony uh, with its PC business and everything else. But you got to wonder what LG is going to do, right, guys? I mean, 13 million phones in a quarter for a company that big is... De- depressing level. Yeah. 
it's it's also not the only company that's struggling. It's one of almost every Android manufacturer that's struggling. You know, LG is is a, a good example of one that had a re- has had a really bad 2015, but HTC has had a really bad three years. Yeah, and you know, this is a company that is essentially being bailed out by Google from for all intents and purposes, being put in a position where. It's acting as an ODM, and while that hasn't been reflected in in its uh, in its earnings yet, you know it, it likely will, and we'll be able to see how uh, how much of an impact the you know the Pixel had on on its bottom line. But you know we're we're looking at companies like LG, Samsung. They're all taking hits, and a lot of them are coming at the expense of Chinese companies like Huawei, like Vivo, like uh, Xiaomi. I mean. These are companies that are really eating into not just Chinese but international market share, and you know it's it's just it's it's all about uh, these these you know ecosystems that I mean look, look at something like Le Echo, which just launched in the U.S. I mean it's more they're they're launching their phones as conduits for for content because they know that their phones aren't going to make money, you know. By and right. large, making phones is a recipe for losing money. And this is something that we've learned over the last five years. And that was the big thing, uh, which you rightly mentioned, HTC, is you know their, their whole plan was to just sell phones. Uh, and relatively expensive for their segment phones. You know, the desire phones were always expensive in the mid-range. Um, the one line was always pretty, you know, up there with the flagship phones. And aside from a couple of tablets, they didn't do that very well. Um, and they didn't have a, a content play in the same way that these other companies do. And, you know, even LG and Samsung, when you think about it, more so LG doesn't really have a content plan out or an ecosystem play outside of just selling their phones either. Samsung is working really hard to have its, you know, across its ecosystem, a lot of different things going on, but that's mostly hardware as well. Samsung has thankfully had great profits in its um, TV business and its uh, component business and its accessories and things like that, you know, the watches and fitness bands and stuff like that. But when I mean, I think the biggest example is Samsung this quarter. uh, They saw a $4 billion drop in income quarter over quarter, but they still turned a profit of $100 million, Um, which is so when you think about it, the the mobile division at Samsung is uh, uh, even when it had a horrible quarter where it was down $4 billion in profits, ended up making, oh geez, doing math now, you know, making over twice as much as LG or or making almost as much as uh, LG did uh, as a company. Right. So Samsung's playing on a completely different level. And I don't think that we have to worry about Samsung going away anytime soon. But when you look at somebody like LG, uh, HTC, um, you know, any of these, these, you know, no names, but, you know, their name is Sony, same example. The name is really well known, but their their business isn't as big as you'd think. They're going to start getting gobbled up by maybe not Laeco, Laeco, whatever you want to pronounce them, but Huawei and Xiaomi for sure. Um, 
because they have these more vertically integrated approaches that they've they've started from you know their newer companies that have started with a vertically integrated approach where they make money elsewhere or they market their phones properly to make a decent amount and they sell enough to make money on the hardware and then they also make money elsewhere and that's something that Sony uh HTC and LG haven't haven't done a good job of yeah well i mean 2017 is going to be very interesting because you have LG and Samsung essentially clawing their way, not from the bottom, but clawing their way back to a position of strength that they probably took for granted just a year ago. And it's going to be especially interesting for Samsung, given how far and how quickly they've fallen. So, you know, we're already reporting on on Galaxy S8 rumors that phone's likely going to be announced in February, which is only four months away. And you're thinking, okay, well, you know, four months isn't that long. And the Galaxy S series is by a large margin the company's flagship product, not just mobile product, but product. And if that doesn't do well, if that is impacted by the Note 7 fiasco, then you have to ask yourself, you know, will Samsung be able to get back to that position of dominance that it has had for three or four years now. Yeah. I mean, I, they're at least coming from a position of strength. They don't have to, you know, they can turn this into a dip rather than starting from the bottom. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, not, not to like, not to overlook how strong they are, but I mean, $4 billion is, that's a lot of ducats. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) There, there's, there's, uh, if I were Samsung, you know, I'm no businessman. I would be a little bit more worried than it, it appears because Lenovo. Lenovo now has a name that North America knows and trusts as a phone brand in Motorola. And Lenovo knows how to sell products in North America. They sell, you know, how many ThinkPads and and business class desktops, Lenovo knows how to market products. And and they probably, I mean, on the other side, they probably sell more phones in China than LG sure. sold in the entire world this quarter. So they can afford to, okay, we're just going to create this, and we are going to dump it on North America and just shove it down everybody's throat until we sell 100 million of them. Lenovo can afford to do that. I'm not saying they will, but that's got to be of, you know, more concern to LG than to Samsung. But that's, if I think of that, I'm sure people that actually run companies and wouldn't run them into the ground like I would are considering those types of situations. Yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously there are a lot of moving parts uh, considering the size of these companies but it is something to think about. I mean, we, we, when you see something like the G5 not doing well, or of course the Note 7 having troubles, uh, and, or Samsung having troubles managing the Note 7, I should say, you've got to think about the, the back end implications of that and how crazy, uh, how, how many executives are going crazy <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with that. And somebody like LG, um, they're, they're, they have to be aware of the situation, I, I, I think. And they, they can they can 
they have the tools to figure it out. They haven't completely died yet, but dang, they got to work on it. We yeah. we need we need LG to team up with Microsoft. Microsoft oh, figure geez. out their mobile strategy. They have LG, a company who can build really good hardware. And if Microsoft can keep them tame and put Windows 10 that people know and love and then sink all those Microsoft dollars into it, that's a chance that they can compete with Google and Apple. And we need a company that can compete with Google and Apple because they're both getting lazy and they will continue well, it, to get lazier. They don't they don't have to worry. It worked so well when they bought Nokia though, right? Yeah. yeah I <laughs> just I, they Microsoft can't give up on that idea because they're the only company that can do it. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I mean, Microsoft does have to have a mobile strategy. Making phones is not one of them. I I, I smell an editorial coming from Jerry. I'm ready for it. Uh, we, we, we need a third player so bad. I mean, well, you're, you're talking d- about a third platform. Yes, yes. Somebody, somebody that can drive Google and Apple to do better. Uh, the, the same way we needed a G5. Man, that idea with the modules on paper, that sounds great. Somebody had to actually make one to see how it converts into real life, and it didn't. It's It sucked. But, well, what about the Moto Z line? I mean, you are talking about Lenovo a second it's, ago. It's a little... It, the Moto Z does that a little bit better. Absolutely. And, and you know that's that's how innovation gets driven forward. One company sees a thing they can do better than another, and 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 does it. And on a bigger scale, we need a third company that can make people at Google's offices and Apple's offices say, "Oh wow, that's really cool. We need to figure out something like that." Wow, I, I Jerry's just dropping major thought bombs on us. I I didn't know that you had such deep thoughts on Microsoft's partnering with LG to relaunch <laughs> Windows Phone. Yeah, crazier things have happened. I may have to write oh, an enough. opposing editorial to that one. So get on it because I I'm I'm already formulating my response. Okay, <laughs> well I'm ready for the dueling editorials. We unfortunately can't go an additional hour and 15 minutes on this podcast so i have to uh set i have to set that one in stone for the moment we've pretty much solved every company's problems at this point though i think from uh google samsung lg microsoft apparently xiaomi laico everybody but before we go andrew i need you to explain to me and a bunch of people how did google make so much money why are they making (sighs) money when all of their partners aren't well, I we don't know, of course, Google, the, the hardware and ecosystem that surrounds just the hardware business is so small compared mm-hmm. to the rest of their revenue. Um, uh, Jerry brings this up because Google's earnings today, um, Alphabet altogether made uh, $5 billion in the quarter, which is the first time that they've gone over uh, the $5 billion mark. And it actually would have been much higher. It would have been about $6 billion had uh, Google been the only revenue driver. But of course, they have big operating losses from the other bets section. But the big thing for Google is still Google-owned sites driving ads and third-party sites driving Google ads. I mean, that's about 80 to 90% of the revenue right there. And those sections are growing at 
10 to 20%. The revenues are growing about 10 to 20% a year. And that's huge for, for a business that big. The Im- interesting part for us as we talk about the phones is the it, it's still the other revenue segment for Google, but the Google store, Google Play store, all that kind of stuff is in the other revenues. And uh, other revenues were up about 50% from last year. And that's a business that Google can capitalize on, not just selling hardware, but accessories and Project Fi and apps and subscriptions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when that segment is up by 50% year over year, that's um, a good way to hedge against the downfall of um, clickable ads on the internet being served by Google. So that's basically your your quick rundown. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's also worth mentioning that mobile ads are finally gaining the traction that people expected them to four years ago because yeah the vast and, and by the way they talked about on the earnings call today about using the accelerated mobile pages the amp technology that they're using for loading search results right now on mobile they're talking about using that for ads as well amp ads right so if you search for something google is going to prioritize your content if it's optimized for amp amp and it's also going to show you the kinds of ads on your phone that you don't feel offended by so more people are likely to click on them and that's exactly what's being what, what's what's happening they figured out how to display ads on mobile devices that are that work with the devices that you have work with the ecosystems you have and people are clicking on them. And that means that more advertisers are willing to spend money. So it's a virtuous cycle for a company like like Google. And that's how they hit the $5 billion mark. Yeah, See, I, just, I, I, I knew. Well, Go ahead. I, I just wanted to clear it up because I, I saw some people talking about how Google can make so much money from Android when nobody else can. And I knew it's not Android. That, a, Android oh, is a no. conduit to all these other things that make them money and nothing more. They make yeah, I, almost no money on Android. Right. Uh, well, I, it, I know it, I've been told that they lose money developing Android. If you take it singularly, Android costs them money to maintain. But they yeah, make it's a it much up, bigger right. play than that. They, they make up that money plus a lot more because it's there. See, I, could, I knew we could end it on a high point, guys. I, I appreciate you bringing that up because... You know, we talk about all this doom and gloom with the hardware makers, and we talked about how ecosystems the way to go. Google's the perfect example of that, I, I think. And five billion and a quarter—that's that's pretty good. And Amen. I know shareholders are probably not seeing it this way, but if you made a hundred million dollars, you can't tell me that I only banked a hundred million dollars because that's ninety-nine point nine 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 million more than I'm going to bank this quarter. thank you for that perspective jerry you you deserve more than that for this hour and 21 minute podcast so i'm gonna I'm going to call it there for the week. I know we had kind of almost like two weeks worth of stuff to talk about. So um, I know you guys stuck through it and you want another hour and another hour and another hour. But uh, we're going to call it there. 
and uh, I don't think I I really laid things out properly at the very start. You can find me and everything that I talk about on uh, Twitter at uh, Andrew Martinick and on Android Central, of course, where you can find all kinds of wonderful things. And uh, where can they find you, Jerry? Uh, on the porch until it gets rainy. But uh, I'm on Twitter at GB Hill, and I'm trying to have more fun on Twitter. And then at Android Central, it's, I, I write stuff. And you, you'll bring your laptop out onto the porch. It's perfect. I always. It's, I've got a table. I've got a little den set up out there. As long as I keep the deer out of it, I'm good. So Daniel, when they fi- when they're not finding you um, in Manhattan, where are they where are they finding you on the internet? Uh, well, I, I just want to say, Jerry, you got way better at Twitter than I gave you credit for when I started at this job because you were ah. not on Twitter at all. You were still on the Google Plus train, and I was really pushing for you to get on there, and you did it, and you're awesome at it. So, kudos. Ah. Uh, I, I'm I'm in agreement there. You really stepped it put up. Put that you in have... your evaluation, Kevin. I'm awesome <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> now, now how now how esteemed do you feel? You're an esteemed Twitter user, but you're not it's... yet verified, so we'll have to work on that. Yeah, I don't I, even understand oh, yeah. what all that is. I'm not sure I, I even care about however, that. However, am verified, so you know. I, I didn't even know that was a thing until Andrew showed me the other day to let me know. I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, we'll get you, we'll get you that, and your Twitter game will, I'm, you know, I'm, step I'm, up appropriately. I'm Jerry. I, I verify that I'm Jerry. That that's enough for me. Thanks, Jerry. Well, I <laughs> verify right, that gonna... I am at Journey Dan on Twitter, uh, AndroidCentral.com, yes. and uh, also on that future food gadgets and maybe oh, yeah. something else podcast that we're working on. To bring it uh to bring it full circle. All right, we we haven't gotten the URLs yet. We'll we'll figure that out <laughs> when we get there. But right now we have AndroidCentral.com, and that's where we're gonna end it at. And we'll come at you this time next week with another probably let's guess hour and a half podcast because that's just what we do now. And uh, we'll talk to you guys all next week. All right, adios. Bye bye. <laughs>